All right, you guys ready? Um, if you're new around here, we've been in a series called Purpose and Passion, and we're, we're looking at what our individual and our community vision is. It's a great way to kick off the year, and I got to tell you, starting with, with the gospel and what the good news of Jesus and the kingdom is, has been the best way to start the year, like absolutely jolting to our church body in the best way and I, I believe we're just, honestly, feels like we're riding a wave, like it's the best thing. And I know that it's the grace of Jesus, and so we're grateful. We're grateful. Last week, I, I preached on sharpening your, uh, the focus of your calling, because uh, it's so important to know the whys of our calling. Uh, why are we doing this? What's the foundation of what we're going after? We're not just loosely grabbing at things and passions, but we're actually finding the why behind it. Um, to maintain focus, to effectively use the gifts that God's given you, to have true satisfaction. If you know your calling, you're going to be free from all jealousy and envy because you know this is my specific calling, and you won't have to compare to another person. You just get to be celebrated by the Lord and be faithful for what he's called you to. When you know your calling, you are strengthened because you're in God's grace. You're in his joy. His joy and his grace gives you a strengthening and enablement to what he's called you to. And finally, we focused on an eternal reward. We are, we are so individualistic and we are so short-sighted. You know, we want that quick meal. I talked about Cheesecake Factory last week. We want that quick meal. Remember, skinny-licious menu out the window. Quick meal, fatty, full of flavor. We're not thinking about three months six months, 10 years, we're definitely not thinking about eternity. And so when we start thinking about our eternal reward, our eternal reward, it changes our whole perspective of how we live. And we're living for our audience of one, not the praises and satisfaction of men around us. That's what we've been going after. Pretty, pretty hefty. It's good. And so I've, I've titled the message this week, Spirit Lead Me. Hearing his voice, trusting his ways. This is all about the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you want to know your calling, you have, have, have to be led by the Spirit. Not just to your calling, but into your calling. As you step into the promised land, there are still giants and there are still cities to take. We need... The, the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We need to walk in the Spirit to see victory, to see strength, to see grace, to take the land that God has for you. Amen? So let's start off with Romans 8, starting in verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, 
that we may also be glorified. What a passage. Someone say glory. I'm going to start using that, Jay. That was good. I don't say it as good as you did, but I'll give it a try. Notice here that it doesn't say that if you're a son of God, you are led by your natural understanding and intellect. Now, the Lord loves intellect. He absolutely loves it. He loves science. We as believers are not against science. Science is the knowledge of God, honestly. And so this passage also definitely doesn't say if you're a son of God, your emotions will lead you. Some of us are often led by our emotions. And it absolutely doesn't say that you shall be led by the praises and opinions of men. Ouch. The sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit of God. And of all those who say they know God, of all those that say that they're believers, say that they're Christian, does it feel like most of them are led by the Spirit? Sadly, it doesn't really feel that way. So there's this big problem. The the primary factor of being a child of God should be that we know him, that we have rich relationship with God himself, that we let the Spirit lead us. That should be a marking feature of a believer. So what's the issue, and how do we get on track? Sons. There are two Greek words for sons in the New Testament, technon and This is a discrepancy. Some will say weos, and some will say yous. I kind of like just saying weos better, so we're going to go for that. Weos and technon. These are the the two words for sons in the New Testament. The Greek word here for sons we're going to use is weos in this passage. Technon uh, merely means sons by birth. Weos means a son that displays the character of his or her parents, and that's how you know that they are theirs. My, my nephew Finn, uh, just yesterday, I think he's got a show today, he was in Mary Poppins. He's 13 years old. He's got his middle school feature up in, the, up in Sunland, and um, he is the son in, in the play uh, in the Banks family. Michael Banks, I think his name is, and he's real cute. Um, Finn, I think he's okay with me saying this. He, he's not tall like his father and his uncle quite yet. And so he plays a perfect Michael Banks. Um, but as he's acting, it's so natural for him. But I'm watching him, and it, it's very fun as a family member because you're watching him act, and he's pulling out these characteristics that I see in his mom and his dad. It's like, this is his, this is his parents' child, <laughs> you know? This is, this is watching him be uh, an example of weos right now, where you can see the characteristics and features of a child and say, yep, that's his parents. It's pretty fun to watch. And so that's the word that's used here in Romans 8, weos. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And so in other words, these are the mature sons and daughters that are looking and acting just like Jesus because they are led by the Spirit. Did you know that's what God is primarily after in your life? Like, he loves your calling. He loves the good things that you're doing. He's after maturity in your life to look like Jesus. What if we made that the primary focus of our lives? Everything else, honestly, would be an overflow. Yeah. So how does the Spirit lead us? That's our job to learn. 
How does he lead specifically? How does he lead us specifically in the area of our calling? The most important thing in fulfilling your calling is to be led by the Spirit. But how do we let him lead? How do we know his voice and his promptings and his nudgings? The absolute foundation of knowing his voice and being led by the Spirit is being in the Word of God. This is not a cop-out because I'm a pastor. Like, we, we have to be in the Word of God. This is the foundation. This is, this is everything to be in the Word of God. One of the core values of this house is the marriage of the Word and Spirit. The Word of God is our compass. Scripture is inspired. It's God-breathed. It's living. It's active. It's cutting. It's nourishing. It's strengthening. It's guiding. It counsels us by the Holy Spirit. And I was reading in Proverbs this week quite a bit, and I was like, dang, just opening up Proverbs, I feel like I am fathered by the Lord. Like, I'm like, I know the kindness of God, and I can be reading these, like, kind of cutting words of Proverbs, and I'm like, I love this. Like, the, the, the nourishing discipline of the Lord is awesome. I was like, I need to level up. It's so good. I am being parented by my dad. And so, number one, to be led by the Spirit, let the Word of God lead you. Anything that we're sensing from the Lord should never contradict the Word of God. Anything that you are sensing spiritually, should, should, you should never step into that if it's contradicting the Word of God. Let me give you an example. Um, we are in a charismatic setting, and so we love dreams, we love visions, we love all the different ways that God speaks because he does, he really does. But, but how many of us have seen charismatic circles where it's bent and it's twisted and it's, it's so pie in the sky that, that people don't even know the word of God? And so they're just tossed around like reeds in the wind because they're just the next feeling, the next spiritual goosebump, whatever it is, and, and they don't have that solid foundation in the word, they don't have the rootedness and I was working with someone that is a great guy, but um, he was going through a separation and he wanted a divorce. And I, was, I was chatting with this guy and to be honest, there was not grounds for divorce, like as we were chatting this through. Um, I sensed both, both, well I know, both of them were believers and I sensed, why don't you even give therapy a try for a second? You're just so quick to jump ship because um, it's not working out. This is not dating anymore. This is a covenant relationship. You are not dating in marriage. You, this, this is a forever decision. And so if it takes a couple years for you guys to do some, some deep work, it's take a few years. You know what I mean? And so I'm, I'm hearing him out, and he's like, well, the Lord gave me a dream, and he described his dream. And he says, here's my dream, and... I, I, I listened to him, and he, he said, my, my dream is, is this, and so therefore God is saying, lay down the marriage. And I said, okay, here's the, here's the problem. Your dream does not align with the word of God. I, I don't care if this is your interpretation, it's not aligning with the word of God. And so we have to look back at this together. I don't have to be rude about it, but we got an unshakable foundation called the Word of God that is, that is a guidepost in our life. And thank God that we have that. 
And so I got an opportunity to, to align him back to that. And I've done that in the past with couples that are struggling. Um, one individual, he also wanted to, to jump ship. And I go, my friend, can we open up the word together? I, I know you're sensing a lot. I know there's a lot of emotions. I know you're trying, because we try to, to, you don't realize it, but you are, you are perceiving what you want to hear. Especially when you're going through something like that. And so I had to align him and thank God um, they, they went back into counseling together and um, gave it another go. Um, but thank God that we have the word of God that aligns us to the truth, right? And so nothing should ever trump what the word of God says. All right. Have I made my point clear? <laughs> I could say a lot more about the word, um, but... Um, May we be a people who know the word of God. Let it nourish us. Let it, let it be our daily spiritual gym, our, our gym routine in the word of God to build up maturity and strength that the best version of ourselves. You know, when, you, when you're going to the gym, not every day is super fun. It's, it, some days you're doing that, that circuit workout, that circuit rider workout, as I call it, and you're like, I am about to throw up. This is a lot of work. And some days you do a workout and you're like, I feel great. Those endorphins kick in. It's kind of similar when you're reading the word of God in the morning or the evening. And it's like some days you're like, this is awesome. God is so real. And other days you're like, all right, I'm really trying to engage with God. And I was faithful with my time. I want to encourage you. You went to the gym. And you are being built up, and you are being strengthened, and you are, you are being nourished in Jesus' name. All right. Number two, he leads by the inner witness. Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When the Holy Spirit speaks to your spirit, you are probably not going to hear an audible voice. Maybe occasionally. If you hear that, good for you. Um, <laughs> this is what people call the inner witness. The voice of the Holy Spirit to your spirit creates a peaceful, rich assurance, a strong, steady, steady sense in your spirit of a knowing. It's that what some people call a velvet piece of God's yes. It's that check in your spirit where you're like, mm, something's not quite right. You're lacking, you're lacking that sense of peace and you, you, you sense that there's a holding back, a pausing, or, or, or maybe you're like, I need to use some discernment on this thing or this relationship. Galatians 5 says, verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This is, this is what the Holy Spirit does. When you walk by the Spirit, this is the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And this is the part I want to highlight. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Where are they at? Those sinful passions and desires nailed to the cross. Crucified there. Verse 25. Since we are living by the Spirit... Here's the change. You're, you're moving on from those dead works to life in the Spirit. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. 
Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. That's, so we're kind of seeing a little defense, a little offense. The defense, like, hey, let's not become jealous. Let's not provoke one another. The offense, walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. Here's the fruit of walking by the Spirit. The key to fulfilling your call, your specific call, your purpose that God has dreamed in his heart and that you have a glimpse of, the key to walking into it and conquering the promised land, the key is to live by the Spirit, to walk in the fruit of the Spirit and to be led by the Holy Spirit. Being led by the Spirit implies both a direction and it implies empowerment. So you're going, and as you go, you are empowered. It's making decisions by the Spirit's guidance, acting with the spiritual power that comes from God. You're not forcing it. It's the the power of God revealed in His grace. The language implies an active, personal involvement with God to guide you. You are not doing this alone. The verb used here in verse 25 is different from just taking a stroll or just taking a walk. The verb here of walking by the Spirit implies walking in line behind a leader. You you have the leadership of Jesus in your life, and you just get to walk behind him. He goes before you. He carves a way before you full of faith. The faith of Jesus activated, and you get to step into it with him. One thing to keep in mind, when God is leading you to your call, when we get a bird's eye view of the map, when we look above and we're looking about, like, what does my calling look like? What do, I, what do I think this is gonna look like? What's my ultimate purpose and destiny? You might be thinking that you are supposed to be a world-class chef. Do we have any chefs in the room? Yeah. Raise your hand, chef. Okay, okay. Let's go, chefs. I've been watching the bear, I'm inspired. That's why it's my sermon illustration. I'm like trying to concentrate. The bear. I want to watch it. Um, Okay, so this is not my expertise, but if you want to become a world-class chef, you got to put some work in. You know, you might be busting some tables. You might be... um, you might be a junior chef and you're paying your way through culinary school. Then you make yourself up to a station chef, a head chef. I did, I did research. Isn't this good? Station chef, head chef. You're this head chef and you become the executive chef. Someone's like, wow, this is, co- this is cool. Someone's finally taking notes. Oh, it's executive after that. Okay. And, and you put in the time you put in a lot of time. You know, you might, even, you might even go off to Copenhagen for a season and see their minimalist creations and be inspired to come back. And then, and then you form relationships. And all of a sudden, you have investors in your restaurant that you open up on Melrose. And it becomes a Michelin star restaurant. And you're working 16 hours a day for your Michelin star. But that's the calling of God on your life and uh, you're living it up. So there's, there's this, there's, it feels very linear, you know, linear process. I start here and I end here. But God really, really loves developing dependency, and he loves developing trust in our lives. Some of you are like, I know. And he really, really loves his we are sons actually looking like him. 
He's more concerned about your character and how your soul is prospering rather than the external prospering. And so most of the time, he doesn't give you the entire roadmap. In fact, I think it's safe to say he does not give you the entire roadmap. He will give you a glimpse of the destination. And you might be over here and you want to get here and you say, I'm going to start here and I'm going to climb that ladder of executive chef and open my restaurant. But if your calling's up here, this is usually how it goes. You start here, you go up, you crash. You move around here. You go around a little bit in a wilderness season. You head over here, a few trials and difficult relationships. And then you're, you're, fe you're feeling, this looks pretty good. And then into a valley, into a nice valley, isolated. Okay, we're festering here for a little while, character development. And you're like, wow, I love walking by the Spirit of God. All of his promises are yes and amen. As charismatics, we don't know what to do with suffering. We don't know what to do when we're in a wilderness season. We're like, I don't know, I need to snap this off. I need to make a declaration. Maybe I'll jump up and down a little bit more. We don't, it's so uncomfortable. I think I'm in a valley. Bro, you're in a valley. Get what you need to learn and come out of the valley. But guess who's in the valley with you? The Spirit of God. We have the Spirit of God with us in the valley. That's incredible. Nothing like that. So even in the darkest days, the Spirit of God is there, breathing, beckoning, drawing, propelling us to a place of, of life and vibrancy in Christ. Isn't that incredible? Remember that before King David was King David, he was a little rejected shepherd boy. Just out in the field. Like, all the other sons were presented who might be king. They're like, oh yeah, don't you have another son? Yeah, he, he's out there. You don't want to pay attention to him. That's David, tending the sheep. Before he used that slingshot that just whacked open the skull of Goliath, he, he was putting that thing to work, killing off some bears, some lions, and probably some coyote. You know, it's not meant, coyote is not mentioned, but I like saying coyote. <laughs> David killed some coyote, trying to take out his sheep, you know? So he got really good practicing. And even though he had a season of no recognition, a season of hiddenness, there's seasons in our life seasons of hiddenness and seasons of manifestation. And some of you want to be in a season of manifestation and the Lord's like, you're supposed to be in a season of hiddenness. You're supposed to be out there tending the, the sheep. And God knows that in order to, to handle the ultimate thing that you want to see, the character and the skills have to be developed first. Otherwise, if you enter in prematurely, it's going to crush you. And B, he, he wants you, um, it's, it's so that you can be a much better, stronger, prepared version of yourself. Powerful, prepared, and then you can step into your calling. So David had a, a season of preparation way before he was in the palace. And many of us want to be in the palace now. 
And the Lord's like, oh, no, my child. You're not ready for the palace. If you're in the palace now, you're going to wave that scepter around a little dangerously. We need you to be prepared before you enter the palace. Um, John Brevere, who I really admire, um, really inspired by a lot of his teaching in this, um, he talks about when he was young and he had this call of God in his life to be a speaker and to minister, to pastor, and he had this word of the Lord that he was supposed to be under this gentleman named T.L. Osborne. T.L. Osborne led over 62 million African individuals to the Lord in his career, in his ministry career. Um, a powerful individual, prominence. I'm sure churches would be like, oh my goodness, T.L. Osborne is here. You know, you make it a big deal or whatever. But John was like, I really feel like I'm supposed to be under this guy and serve him and, and be part of his ministry. So he goes into the whole story. But the, the story is that he, he goes on the journey and the Lord opens a door of opportunity to, to be the second in, basically like the second in command, the right-hand man of T.L. Osborne a few years later. The opportunity's there. And T.L. Osborne introduces John and his wife to their whole team. They're at the Christmas party. And John's gonna work for me. Isn't this incredible? And it's just uh, like such a cool season. But he said, right in the middle of his celebration, he felt a nudge from the Lord. He felt that little, oh, uh-oh. There's that little absence of peace, that little prompting. He's like, no, he's like, literally, I ignored it. I ignored it for a while because it was so good. But as time progressed, I knew this nudge was the Lord. And that even though this seemed like the open door opportunity for my calling, I wasn't supposed to take it. I wasn't supposed to. And so he followed the peace of God. He followed the voice of God. He turned it down. In fact, T.L. Osborne and his wife were like, actually, we've been praying and we felt the same thing. So that was the grace of God to bring that confirmation. But, um, but through his journey, the Lord spoke time after time of where he should actually be. And rather than putting him in the palace, he put him as a youth pastor for several years. But he needed that time as a youth pastor to develop the skill and gifting and calling to where he is at now today. And they're bringing incredible curriculum and teaching and training to the ends of the earth. And so he went through that season where he, he was angry at God. He said for two weeks straight, he knew he made the right decision, but he was so angry at God, he just cried for two weeks straight. He was like, what are you doing, God? And some of you might feel that way with your calling. You're like, seriously, you're making me put this on the altar? You're making me put this on the altar? And he says, you know what? I was trying to make something happen. This situation of my ministry was my Ishmael. This was my Ishmael. What am I talking about? What is John talking about when we talk about our Ishmael? Let's now talk about this in uh, Genesis 15. Let's look here. Genesis 15, verse 4. This is when God comes to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I have for you a reward. Abraham is distraught because there's, nothing's really happening. He, he, they're not able to have children, and there's no inheritance, which, um, you know, children was their inheritance then. Genesis 15, verse 4. The Lord said to Abraham, um, no, your servant will not be your heir, which is what they would have done. It's like, my heir shall be this trusted servant is most likely what was happening. Um, 
he's not supposed to be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said, look into the sky, count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous. Why? Because of his faith. So God brings Abraham out and it has him look at these stars. In fact, there's not a name change. He went from Abram to Abraham. But at the time, he has him look at the stars and put this dream and this promise into his heart. And Abram, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. This is the, the promise. God's giving him this calling. Um, you are called to be a father of many nations. And so now we see this story. Um, and what we, what we learn from it is the promise comes and immediately his wife gets pregnant. And some of you are like, no, that's not how the story goes. You are correct. She does not immediately get pregnant. In fact, there's 11 more years until Sarah gets pregnant. 11 years from the promise of God to the fulfillment of Sarah getting supernaturally pregnant. At the time, he was 86 years old. His wife is, is her reproductive, is incapable. Uh, he's getting close to it. So th- what do they do? They end up taking matters into their own hands because he wants the promise of children so badly. And so they do what the rest of the culture is doing. Some of us, we're like, well, the rest of those around me are doing this. They're making it happen. If your wife can't have kids, you would take her servant, who was Hagar, and she gave birth to Ishmael. And that's why I'm calling this an Ishmael, taking it into your own hands. And between the ages of 75 and 86, Sarah's actually not even mentioned by God's promise. He just tells Abraham that he's going to have a son. So Abraham's making it happen. But with Ishmael, there's a problem here. Because when Isaac comes along, the child of promise, there is a war between the son of the flesh and the son of promise. Now God's promises are yes and amen. And so we see through Ishmael that the nation of Islam is born. And through Isaac, the nation of Israel is born. What's the point? When you are approaching your calling, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to birth your calling in the flesh. Or you can approach your calling and the steps of it, allowing God's spirit to birth it. The problem is what you birth in the flesh, you're going to have to maintain in the flesh. And there's going to be struggle and there's going to be striving. But when God does it by his spirit, there is favor and there is grace that is poured out. It does not mean that you will not face giants and have difficulty, but you have God with you. And there's a tangible favor and grace that's poured out. There is a supernatural flow and there's nothing like it. There's an ease, there's peace, there's joy when you're stepping into your call. And so John was angry at God. I've got to put this thing on the altar before you. I've got to lay down what I think is the best ministry situation I could dream of. And the Lord said, my son, my son. He says, I just want to see if you are serving me or if you're serving the dream. Are you serving me or are you serving the dream? Stephanie Gretzinger, um, just an incredible worship leader. I think she's incredibly prophetic as well. And... Um, she gave this talk a few years ago that just rings in my ear when it has to do with, with 
calling and, and accolades and filling stadiums and things that can be so good, honestly, so good. I, I believe God wants to do it. He is doing it. Now, if, if, you're, if, if you are a son or daughter of the Lord, your, your first and primary dream is not the dream that we are picturing. Jesus is the dream. He is the dream. And I can hear it. I can hear her voice. She's like, he's the dream. She's just weeping. He is the dream. He is the dream. And it's like when you put things in order in the kingdom, he is the dream. He is the first place. He is above it all. If everything else vanishes, he is the dream. Now, from that place, let's build. Now, from that place, I will arise. All of me filled with all of you, God. That doesn't mean he's shrinking you back and, and just saying, I want you to be a nothing. I want, you, I want you to live in sackcloth, in ashes. He's not. He's saying, come to me with this heart posture and I will fill you up and I will strengthen you and I will bring you to the palace. I will bring you to the palace that I have dreamed for you, that dream full of me with the right heart posture, with character and power. That's what he's about. When you try to fulfill your callings in your own strength, it's exhausting, it's dry, without getting a word from God or any strategy. At the same time, it doesn't mean that you do nothing. It doesn't mean you do nothing. And a lot of us are just waiting around for God to do something. We're, we're literally just on our couches. God, where are you? This calling on my life. And he's like, what was the last thing that I asked you to do? What, was, what did I ask you to do? Are you being faithful with that? Because the Lord honors faithfulness. You might not just become from bussing tables to a Michelin star executive chef. There's, there's some work to do. There's some work to do. Even Israel, when they went into the promised land, the water did not part before. They had to put their feet in the water and then it parted. There is an active participation on our end. Think about the apostle Paul. He is bringing the gospel to his best ability to the ends of the earth. And he's like, I'm just trying to go where God's having me go. And so he sets out, he starts his journey. He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching it. And the Lord's like, hey, I know you're going this direction into Asia. I'm actually gonna send you a vision in the middle of the night of a Macedonian man. And you're supposed to go this way. But he was in motion. There was movement. And I believe sometimes we're just, our sails are not up. We're not in motion. The Lord needs us to set our sails up and to be in motion. And then his wind can blow in the sails. John 10, verse 24. Do I want to get there yet? Let me, let me pause on that for just a second. I want to come back to this. Um, okay. The wisdom is that God doesn't steer a ship that's not moving. Be faithful with the last thing that he's asked you to do. Continue to wait on him. You're not going before him. You're waiting on him actively and you're being faithful. If you're just wanting the next thing, if you're wanting the new thing, it feels like God is not speaking. I gotta say, I do believe he's always speaking in some way. Just go down to the ocean, he's speaking. Just go to the mountains, he's speaking in some way. But keep being faithful with the last thing that he spoke. 
Be faithful with your wife and your kids. Be faithful with your difficult coworkers and the tough work schedule. Be faithful with your current situation and your opportunity. The opportunity that you are in right now, it might not look like the palace, but you get to exercise faithfulness, and that is, is worship to the Lord. Amen. That job that you don't love is worship unto the Lord. I know that's really annoying to hear. That is worship to the Lord, and Jesus is your boss. He really is your boss. And so are we, are we needing to change, our, change what's going on in here to align with, wow, I am, I am serving the king and his kingdom even in this workplace. It doesn't look like the palace yet. You're serving, you're worshiping. All right, there's a path that God has for you to get from here to here, but it's probably not the path that you think. It's through hardship, through relationships, through servant leadership development, through desert wilderness, but the character is vital so that you can handle that position. To write and direct, to create a successful startup, to be an awesome mom or dad in Los Angeles with a thriving family, whatever you're called to, it's so important that we learn to hear his voice. A few things to keep in mind when learning his voice. Number one, God's first language is not English. I know some of you are like, but God speaks with an American accent. At the very least, he speaks with an English accent like the NIV orator. But his first language isn't English. And he speaks to each of his kids very differently. And to have a confidence that you know him, I have to tell you, you are his sheep. And John says, if you are his sheep, you know his voice. If you are a follower of Jesus, you know his voice. He is growing a confidence in the way that you hear. John 10, the people surrounded Jesus asked him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I've already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is that I do. Uh, the proof is the work I do in my father's name. But you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They're never perishing. No one can snatch them from me. For my father has given them to me. He is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the father's hand. The father and I are one. You are, you are a sheep. And we, we use that now like in a negative term. Like, oh, they're just sheep. They're blindly following well, in the kingdom of God, sheep is celebrated because you're, you're following the good shepherd and you're nurtured and you're cared for and your fleece is as white as snow. All right, I just want to end with this last bit. How do you know? How do we know the voice of God? I think one of the primary ways that you know the voice of God is the sense of lasting peace. Some of you might be working with an individual, um, and it might not even be a good spot to be in, and you feel peace for a moment. But when you are following the Lord, there is a sense of lasting peace. Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is that inner witness and awareness of peace. It's the peace of God that is beyond or passes our understanding, beyond our logic, beyond our reasoning, beyond physical things, beyond the circumstances that you are currently facing, that peace goes beyond it. 
And as you develop spiritually, you'll become aware of that peace of God as a method of finding direction. You're going to say, oh man, I really feel peace about this decision, or I do not feel peace about this decision. And that is going to be part of your compass and your guide when you are facing circumstances, relationships, and your calling. Even the Apostle Paul, when he's talking about the phenomenon of the inner witness, the peace of God, he calls it an umpire. It means to arbitrate, to direct, to govern. God is using peace to direct and to govern your life. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. How else does God speak dreams, visions, and prophetic words? Somebody say, woo! So this is part of that supernatural life with the Lord. This is part of a spirit-filled life. You're in a charismatic church, and we believe in these things. Um, Dreams, visions, and prophetic words. Even as I was prepping for Los Angeles, I moved here in 2015 to start Evergreen. I knew kind of like one person. And I met a few individuals. I met Molly the first day or two I was here. Jeremy, wherever he's at, they still hung around and uh, met them right away. But I came out here as part of my calling because in 2011, I had a download zip file kind of download in Sherman Oaks, walking down the street where the Lord spoke your home. And I felt almost like a download. And he showed me that I'm supposed to plant a local church in Los Angeles, but it's also supposed to be a mission base to the ends of the earth through missional media. So we are both a local church and we are a mission base, particularly with missional media that is is continuing to be built by Jesus to have impact around the ends of the earth. That's what we're going after. That's what he's building. And as the Lord spoke that into my life in 2011, you know, now it's 2024. That's a few years. It, it takes time. I have learned a ton. You know, I was, I was, at the time, you know, just finishing ministry school. I was young. I don't know how all of this is going to work. And the Lord started speaking because the Lord loves to give a collection of, of ways that he is speaking to build our confidence. And so he would give me dreams. I remember um, one particular prophetic word. I was on, my, on the phone with a guy from Los Angeles, and I knew nothing about LA at the time. And I was like, I see this vision, and there's this silver lake, and, peop- and people are drowning in this silver lake, and a helicopter comes and rescues them out of this silver lake. And I feel like there's this evangelistic call that God's wanting to do, but I don't know why it's a silver lake. And he's just laughing. He's like, there's a neighborhood called Silver Lake. I was like, that's cool. Maybe I should move there, you know? Uh, I didn't. Um, I, I looked into it, closed door uh, for now. And, but the Lord starts to speak in these different ways. And you're finding the language of God in your own life. We have to give it time, room to breathe. We have to allow, uh, allow those that we've given leadership authority over our lives to enter into this conversation with us. We don't just go around saying, God said to do this. In fact, this is one of the biggest um, pro tips I want to give you, church body. When you just go around and you're saying, God said to do this, God said this, God said that. Do you realize that every time you do that, you are not giving anyone else in your life an opportunity to speak into your life. 
you have shut them down because who am I to, to trump what the word of the Lord is in your life? God said, I'm supposed to marry this girl in two and a half months. That literally was a conversation I had with someone. And they hadn't even been out on a date. I'm like, I go, can I, can I just share with you what I feel like God's saying to me? You know? <laughs> so um, our language has to, be, has to be open in the way that we speak and say, I feel like God is saying dot, dot, dot. I sense that God is saying dot, 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 because we are all seeing in part, right? We are all learning and training our senses to hear God better. And so when we open up the conversation, now your friends and your, the leadership in your life can say, that's awesome. Let, let me pray into it with you. And you bring people into the conversation. And so it, it, it becomes less about like, God said to do this and I'm just going to do that. And all of a sudden, in community, you are hearing God together. You can find that peace together, particularly with those who are in leadership, your, your home group leader or whoever else is in your life. That's just kind of a side thing. Next, God speaks through circumstances. Who are you divinely running into? Who, who, who are you seeing at the grocery store? Because I started praying, God, help me to run into people divinely, and it's happening. And, and so I pause and I start having those conversations. Next, um, speaking through circumstances, speaking through favor. Who do you have favor with? Where are the doors starting to open? Because sometimes that is the, the very thing that God is using to propel you forward in your life. The doors of favor could be the Lord speaking for your, for your calling. So these are some, some quick ways that I would love to go into more at another time. But I want to just end with, it's not a formulaic way that God speaks. He loves to speak with his kids, with his sheep that know his voice in various ways to find the way that you relate and the various ways that you can relate to God and let him lead you well by his spirit. And the most important thing in fulfilling your calling is to be led by the spirit of God. Would you guys go ahead and stand up with me? I just want to give a, a quick blessing prayer over all of us. Lord, thank you that you are stretching us. I can, I can feel it in the room. There's like the hands of the potter on individuals and there's the hands of the potter on this whole church body. We want to be shaped by you, God. We really want to be shaped by you. Take out the little pebbles. Take out the distractions. Take out the things that might make us crack so that we can be the vessel that you have, have dreamed us to be. And so, God, when we're talking about purpose and passion and calling, we thank you, God, that you are, you are working this into us to be pure-hearted, to be those that have the fire of the Holy Spirit um, bring the dross to the top of the silver and to, to take and skim that off so that we can be the purest version of who we are in you and to be um, the most valuable, um, pure flow that we can bring to the world. And so I thank you that you're working in our hearts, God. You're refining us and you're bringing that fresh fire in our lives again. Thank you that you're bringing direction. You're bringing a, a strong sense of specific calling in individuals, and you are breathing on this body to be a local church and a mission base where people are propelled, propelled into the things that God has for us 
in this city and to the ends of the earth. We bless your name. We ask that we would just abide in the vine every single day, that your word would be alive as we spend time with you, that we'd be those that are dedicated to, to take time and let you take time in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yes, let's thank Tommy for that message.